We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Well, you know what? This game, as you guys made it all about me, because as, as Jack to do about me. Gordon Gay is the kickoff specialist for the Bills. He's the only full-time kickoff specialist in the league. He's got one run back on him here by Devin Smith. And Smith fumbled the football. It's picked up by Williams, and he's in for the touchdown. Here's second and ten. All kinds of time for Taylor. And he's got Carlos Williams, and he's in the end zone yet again. Hell yeah, how do you think it feels? Dang right, it feels great. Absolutely, you beat a hell of a football team, very talented team. And, uh, you know, oh my gosh, you weren't comfortable, we had a lead, and I was like, God, you, you were never comfortable, obviously, and uh, we just had to keep, you know, fighting, and, and that's what we did, you know, as a team. So I'm extremely proud of my team. And, and like I say, it took every man. That was Jim Nance from CBS Sports and Rex Ryan from BuffaloBills.com. How about it, guys? Big win down in New York City. You know, it couldn't have come at a better time. It was a big game with a lot of different storylines coming throughout the course of the week. And there's a lot to talk about. I want to introduce a friend of mine who's going to sit in on this week's podcast with us, Greg Trelone. What's up, Drew? Nada. Greg is a Buffalo Bills usher, flag holder, and also a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. Greg, what's one of the best parts of your job working at the stadium? I, obviously, it's just it's being there. Uh, I was an usher for five seasons prior to being the, the flag bearer on the, on the field. And obviously, that's a bit of an upgrade. Not to downplay being an usher. It's, a, it's a really a tremendous experience. Just being out there, um, you know, you, you get... You're afforded a couple extra opportunities that you might not be as, as a fan. You get to be down there during warm-ups and whatnot. Um, it's just some parts of the game that you might, like I said, you might not be able to experience being, um, you know, not being an employee of the Bills. But, um, you know, being the flag holder, it's, I really, I really can't downplay how cool it is it's, or, or, or overstate it, uh, should I say. When you were saying before about being an usher, I know our usher is Tony. 
up in the rock pile, section 200. Tony's awesome. Tony has been there for a couple of years now, right. and I'll tell you, I look, I look forward to seeing him. You just, him yeah, to, you just, you just forge these relationships. You get to with know people. those guys. Yeah. So that had to be an awesome thing. And then to go, now you're down on the field. Now, do you have a designated end zone? I am always on the scoreboard side end zone. Yes, that's uh, right in front I, of us. Well, all, yeah, all, uh, you know, we'll switch sidelines, alternate sidelines, uh, based on touchdowns, and field goals, and whatnot. But I'll always be down on the scoreboard side end zone. Yes. And what is your favorite game day memory? Do you have, do you have one moment Man. that just sticks out as the coolest part of being at the stadium, working there for a day? The, beating the Patriots in 2011—that <laughs> far and away. That, that is far and away the best memory I can remember. It's the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. The Drayton Florence pick six has got to be the number, the number one memory of all time being in that stadium. Uh, I mean, and there's been some cool things. I mean, as good as the as, – as good. As bad as the Bills have been in the past, you know, 10, 15 years at times, there's been some pretty cool memories in that stadium, some not so great. <laughs> you know, you said, best, you said best game day memory, worst game day memory comes to mind too. Dallas, Monday Night Football, oh. Cleveland, Monday Night Football, things like that. But, I mean, far and away, Drayton Florence's pick six, the, the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. <laughs> I remember I was there for that game, and I remember I was fighting with my ex-girlfriend almost the entire day. <laughs> that moment made it all worth it. Yeah. Just And then the, the noise that erupted out of that place when the ball went through the uprights and we won that game. Unbelievable. It was incredible to be there for. My one question for you would have to be, when Drew uh, talked about having you on the podcast and I messaged you on Facebook, one of the things that I saw on your Facebook is that you publicly display a photo of yourself and Doug Marone. Uh, Why? <laughs> <laughs> that, that used to be my profile picture, actually. Yeah, uh, I, you know, it was a cool memory. It was pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, it was, it was just nice of him for, to, you know, mix and mingle with the fans because he's gives off this kind of stoic, mm-hmm. this stoic impression. And I mean, do I, does it look, you know, in retrospect, he basically quit on the team, but I can't really blame him for it. Like Doug Marone did what was best for Doug Marone. I don't mean to bring, mm-hmm. you know, open up Pandora's box for Doug Marone right here. It's just, <laughs> He had a $4 million out, had clearly had some disagreements with upper management, with new ownership, and he had had this clause in his contract, $4 million to walk away. And honestly, he hasn't said anything since. And he still gets to work right. in football. I mean, and I guess I never stopped to see it from his perspective. Yeah. You know, throughout all the just Just animosity. look at it like that. I guess I never... Thank you, Greg, for bringing a fresh right. perspective to my life. So... I know nobody out there knows about it, or maybe you do. Maybe you do, and you're a current fan, and I just don't know. But Greg also authors his own YouTube videos, right? For the Buffalo Bills, you know, it's I am not a spokesperson for the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. <laughs> he is not a spokesperson, folks. But he does put out his own, you know, his video with his own views and his own kind of, you know, preemptive look at the game. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how did you get started with that? It actually started. I was. I remember the day I was in college. Um, I was waiting for the Bills to play the Patriots on Monday Night Football in 2009 before Terrell Owens' first game, mm-hmm. which is just another terrific memory. Mm-hmm. And I used ter- the word terrific very loosely <laughs> in, in that context. Um, and I was just sitting there. It was probably about, I don't know, 4 or 5 o'clock, and I just couldn't wait for the game to start. And I just felt like I had so much to say and talk about. And I was by myself because all my roommates were gone. 
So I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna record some thoughts. <laughs> and I, I did, and I, it just, I just decided to start doing it every week. And it, not, not to say that it took off, but I mean, it, you know, there's, I have some, what, about 200 subscribers mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you're, it, it, I, I don't know about taking yeah. off, but I'll say right, this, it gets more off. views than our podcast. <laughs> that's, that's for damn sure. You're talking about YouTube. Well, maybe, oh, hey, maybe we can collectively modify that. Well, all I know is the guy knows his stuff and people like hearing him talk about it. Yeah, give us a shout-out on your YouTube videos. <laughs> hey, I'll do that. <laughs> and then Greg actually w- took a trip to the Big Apple to go see the Bills play in New York City. Well, New Jersey. <laughs> it was, yeah. Well, I mean, I stayed in New York City, but mm-hmm. I had to travel to New Jersey. What was it like sitting in the stands for that game? Like, from the onset of the game, I'm sure there was a lot of energy. I mean, just from watching it on TV, you could tell the crowd was amped about this game. You know, it's. I was kind of surprised. Uh, I would say that walking into the stadium, the fans, at least up where I was sitting, I was in 300 level and 334. Uh, well, you know what? First of all, the drive there was just brutal because we actually had one vehicle, which we didn't use throughout the entirety of the week, you know, while we were in New York City. But we were like, okay, well, there's eight of us. So instead of taking, I don't even know how many trains, I don't know the the difficulty of getting there via train because we just decided to drive there mm-hmm. and we had to go through Manhattan and oh man that was brutal oh, we left at, we left at like 5.30 we were trying to leave by 5.30 ended up leaving by 5.45ish and honestly I was sprinting to my seat to make kickoff which I did but I made it <laughs> barely barely made it um, but people outside the stadium uh, you know while you're waiting to get wanded and whatnot, they have metal detectors out there People are yelling, and I, this is the funniest thing to me, is people were yelling sloppy seconds because we have Rex Ryan. And I'm like, just look in the mirror for a second. <laughs> Your quarterback and offensive coordinator are exactly what we had three years ago. And Jan where, Gailey and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And where did that get us? Yeah, exactly. You're trying to, this is the definition of insanity. You're trying the exact same thing. It didn't work before, and you're just hoping that it works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got to say, the the fans were, I thought they would be a little bit more intense than they were. I'm not trying to call out Jets fans by, by any means. And the lower bowl certainly looked like it was, it was, it was fired up. Mm-hmm. But being up there, I mean, it, it was not sold out. I will tell you that straight really? up. It was not. I mean, they might have advertised it as one, but there were empty seats. Quite a few empty seats up there wow. in the 300s. And a lot of Bills fans up in the 300s. Oh, I'm sure. But, um, I mean, we travel. Right. And then, you know, for the first quarter and a half, it's, Three nothing. So you really there's not hardly any first downs even. Mm-hmm. So there's really not a lot of cheering going either way. The only play that really got cheered was the ivory screen pass that went for like 36 yards and set up a field goal. It's three nothing, and mm-hmm. there's just not a ton of energy in there because of. And you know what? And it, it was raining for a while as well. I wanted to but ask that. The weather the, looked like absolute crap. It was just on and off. Yeah. I, I was surprised because they we called checked for the no forecast. Rain. Yeah, like 10, 15% chance of rain the whole time. And that came through. But it wasn't until the Bills, uh, the, was it the Corey Graham interception mm-hmm. that set up the first field goal? And that was, you know, where we started breathing life into the Bills fans, at least, because up until that point, let's face it, the offensive is non existent. No, um, it was not their best day. You know, it, it felt honestly like the Titans game, where the first mm-hmm. play you have where you think is a touchdown or. You know, the Titans, you think you have this fumble recovery mm-hmm. on the one. And on the first play, you think you have Watkins for a touchdown. And 
you know, we can debate whether that, you know, <laughs> why that wasn't a touchdown in a minute. Um, and then your offense is totally flat yeah. for the rest of the half. But once, you know, once Duke Williams picked up that fumble, ran it into the, ran into the end zone for a touchdown, nine points in nine seconds. I mean, the Bills were winning almost <laughs> the entirety of the – well, they were after that. They, they mm-hmm. never lost the lead after that. And the Jets fans really had nothing to say. Oh, man. It was – I mean, it's I, be I was – awesome feeling. It, it kind of was. It kind of was. <laughs> well, as we were just talking about, it's an awesome feeling. It was a huge win in New York. New York. And let's, let, let's get down to the uh, game recap. The Bills saved their season. They got back into the wild card lead. And it couldn't we, – we needed that. I mean, there wasn't a bigger game. We knew coming out of the bye week that we had two games. Out of our three-game stretch here, there was two of them that you had to win right. in order to still hang on to that wild card hope. And nobody – let's be real. Nobody expects them to beat New England no. next week. So you know that – we went into these last two weeks knowing that Miami and this game at the Jets were must-win football games. Right. And I think that I – mean, <laughs> It's it's hard to call things must win in like week eight and nine and or what nine and ten and because technically they're not, but they are. But yeah. yeah, as a as a fan, I don't want to have to you know, I don't want to spend my next two weeks just sitting in the dark alone. Yeah, well, I mean, and you look at the AFC standings right now. What's the difference between five and four and four and five? It's like a mile. Yeah, I, well, and that's if when you look at the way schedules have panned out, and when you look at just the teams that you thought that were going to be in the race, and then you know, that hasn't come to fruition for them, it's surprising. It really is, and so that's why I think this is where, I mean, something has to break our way after 15 years, and so the, if if nothing else, you've got a group of teams with good quarterbacks, right? Right. Teams like the Ravens, teams like you know the Chargers. These teams that are traditionally in the hunt, at this point in the season, they're kind of the front runners. They're fighting for division titles. They're two-win teams. To see these teams be two-win teams because they've just been decimated by injuries, this is our shot. The window is open for us to take a step forward here. I'll take it however I can get it. I'm not picky. If it means that these teams aren't as competitive doesn't matter to me. because they don't have the players, well, fine. The schedule is what it is. It, it is what it is. You don't control anything. How many you years have the Buffalo Bills been decimated by injuries? And that's why our season just fell apart. I don't right. feel sorry for anybody. <laughs> but so this game was huge in the sense that it kept us on track to make, to, to make a wild card berth. Right now, we're in the lead. We beat the They're team fifth. that you had to beat. And honestly, if you finish fifth, like just think about it this way: if you finish fifth, if you take that first wild card, you're getting the AFC South division winner. Oh, which, and, th- and that's that's huge. Right? That's huge because that's one of the worst. That's one of the worst divisions in football right now. <laughs> it's between them and the AFC in the NFC East. I I, I, I got to say the AFC South is worse, especially <laughs> the Colts without luck. The Texans are you know they're doing it with Brian Hoyer. It, Jackson, Jacksonville's in it. Jacksonville is in it at two and six. So is Tennessee at two and six. It's just like the the NFC South was last year, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Tampa Bay wasn't eliminated until they were two and eleven or something mm-hmm. like that. It's absurd. Um, I mean, it, that I know we're looking. It's you know you're fast forwarding seven games ahead, but who in the AFC is definitively better than the Bills? That's three the, teams. There's, there's New England, Cincinnati, teams. Denver. We actually touched on them last week. Yeah. You got your top dogs. You've got the the two undefeateds, and then you've got the Broncos. Who they're even though Peyton's not what he used to be, their quarterback is still. They're seven and one. They play phenomenal defense. Their defense yeah. is great, and then you've got this 
just kind of a quagmire of teams in the middle that it's so fluid. From week to week, you don't know what you're going to get because right. the first five games, you looked at the New York Jets and you thought they were you saw a one. team that yep. was dominating teams on defense and their offense was moving the ball well. And then it took an injury or two, and all of a sudden the Jets' defense is getting gashed for yardage, and they're letting people throw all over them. Even in the game plan where they went into it knowing that they were going to hold the Buffalo Bills' passing numbers down, they still couldn't stop LaShawn McCoy from getting loose. And that, I think, was the difference in the football game. Last week, I called it on our podcast that this game was going to come down to whichever defense broke first. Whichever defense couldn't impose its will on the other offense enough to hold them down from from a scoring perspective was going to, the, the, that team was going to win, and that's exactly what happened. Our defense and special teams saved the day for us. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it because, I mean, I, you got to give credit to the Jets' defense. They didn't break. No, they put they, up, allo- they allowed one touchdown drive basically. They put up they, they come out sacks. of the half. They put up four sacks, right. which I mean, we we didn't put up the sack numbers we did, you know, that they did, and you know, they did a lot of great things, but. They allowed more. We allowed more passing yardage, but they allowed us to get more yards on the ground, which is what we needed to do in order to win the game. I mean, think about this. LaShawn McCoy comes into this game and then has most of his rushing success up the middle. Okay, Mm -hmm. according to Pro Football Reference, he's had he had nine rushes for 45 yards directly up the gut of that New York Jets defense. How the do you trade LaShawn McCoy? I love that guy. <laughs> you, you, we, we get him back, right? He goes up the middle where you would expect them to be the the best, the stoutest, and yet they're going right at Wilkerson and Richardson, right? And we hit him in the mouth, and it worked to our advantage, right? And I think that that was one of the things that helped decide how this game was going to play out. Whether it was to, the, and then on the outside, McCoy was breaking ankles. He was turning people inside out. He was corkscrewing back to the middle of the field. His ability to make people miss is is just unbelievable. You it, you can't overvalue it. Not at all. We also won the turnover battle. That's the other thing our defense did. I mean, outside of the special teams touchdown, which obviously just like you were saying, it was quiet in there. And when we took that over, it was suffocating right. in there because they couldn't move the ball. Neither offense could score, but our special teams found a way to get it done. So a three-turnover performance by Bakari Rambo. You know, he was in on three of them, and he talked a little bit about that after the game. The coaches and the uh, rest of the guys did a tremendous job. Um, the coaches came up with a tremendous scheme. Um, they knew these guys, like the back of their hands, and they knew what was coming. And um, they put us in the right position to make plays, and preparation met, met opportunity for myself and the rest of the guys. Like all week we were seeing like they was running this certain route, and um, I knew it was coming, so it just allowed me to make a play. How about Bakari Rambo, by the way? <laughs> that was it's, just Bac- some, it's a cast off from the Redskins that they find last year. He picks off Aaron Rodgers twice. Oh. They, they win that game. No one knew who he was before that game. Right. I didn't know who he was when they picked him up, to be honest with you. Never heard of him before in my life. Now, here he is. You know, he takes advantage of an Aaron Williams injury, which is unfortunate. But, and now he's mixing and matching with Duke Williams and now even Leotis McKelvin at safety. And he... he you know, you could argue he won that game for the Bills. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about this. And that was from his, that, that quote there was from his interview at buffalobills.com. We, we didn't know who Bakari Rambo was when the Bills picked him up last year off waivers. Just kind of a guy floating around out there. Did I, anyone think he was going to make a difference? I knew him. Point? If you go back on Buffalo Rumblings, you'll find an article I wrote during the draft, the year he was drafted in the sixth round, entitled, What the Hell Did You Do, Bakari? Because... 
He's a guy that I thought would be a third round. Watching him play at Georgia, he seemed to me like a guy who had the tools to, not necessarily the you know highlight real ball skills, but when you watch Georgia play during his last season there, it seemed like whenever there was a tackle, you know, a meaningful tackle made on defense, or whenever anyone broke past the linebackers, he was gonna. You, you didn't worry because you knew he was going to be there to clean it up. Same way he just had a knack for finding the ball on the ground or forcing the ball out of a receiver's hands. So to see him get drafted so low, a lot of the scouting report on him was that his hips, hips were stiff, that he wasn't as fluid an athlete as you want playing safety. At the end of the day, guys who can get the ball, right? <laughs> if you can find a way to get the ball in your hands on defense, that's worth its weight in gold. Exactly. There's guys. With, there's unique talents that mm-hmm. some guys have, and maybe that's that's his mm-hmm. to, to knock the ball out of. He did it twice. I mean, he did it twice. I mean, think about it. That takeaway from Chris Ivory, watching it on TV, he just ripped the ball out of his hands. Ivory, Ivory didn't have a shot at that. Right. Nobody really knew. <laughs> no one knew. All of a sudden, they fall to the ground, and Bakari Rambo has the football, and you're wondering how that happened. Watching it on the replay, Ivory breaks through the line with the football, and he's holding it like a loaf of bread, and doesn't even realize Rambo's coming for the strip until Rambo already has it out of his hands. Right. And then he tries to get it back and can't pull it away from him. He ran in there, knew what he wanted, and took it. And the running back had no idea what to do about it. And that's impressive. That's impressive from a guy who was floating around there on the scrap heap. And then his interception. His interception to ice the game. Yeah, he spoke, he spoke about that after the game, too, and said that, you know, it, that's it basically touched on in the quote that we, we had from buffalobills.com that it's preparation. Mm-hmm. Those are the things you study, and, you know, I, you. Like I said, that's something that's very valuable for, especially for a player like him who, you know, you're not always sure that you're going to play. Now, he is because of the Aaron Williams injury, but the fact that he is constantly prepared, it speaks a lot to his character. Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you what else. Ron Darby, the kid is impressive. He just flat out impressive. And he made a few huge plays over the course of the game. I mean, I think for me, the best play he had all night is that throw to Brandon Marshall. On fourth down, when this guy has him by probably 50, yeah. 50 pounds, would you say? Basically, I, that's the Jets saying we're gonna take we're gonna take a chance with our best player against your smaller cornerback mm-hmm. to get two yards. And he crushed him behind the line. Didn't let him go anywhere. Wrestled him to the ground. Mm-hmm. That speaks to his will, being a willing tackler, his level of competitiveness. He got in there. Not you, know, you talk about it. Brandon Marshall's he's a household name. He's a guy that you you know what you're getting from him at the wide receiver position. He's a big receiver who's going to play physical. Right. You know so you're getting on the field. So you also know what you're getting off the field. Yeah. So to see a young kid go in there, know that he's outsized, you know, know that he's losing in the size department. He doesn't have the experience, but he doesn't care. He just lowered his head, got in there, and made a, made a play because he knew he needed to. The thing with, with him and when the Bills drafted him, and this is the only thing I cared about, is even, you know, you watch Mel Kuyper and, and the guys on NFL Network and uh, Mayock and, and what have you, all, all the draft pundits. Well, he's excellent in man-to-man coverage. That's all I care about. Yep. If you're a cornerback, I don't, you can be taught to play zone. You can just, oh, just stay here and, you know, wait for somebody <laughs> to float by or whatever, close on the holes or whatever. It, if you can play man-to-man coverage, if you can stay with your guy stride for stride, I don't even care if you don't have the ball skills, which he clearly does anyway. Mm-hmm. That was a knock against him, mm-hmm. but he does. Cause, and you saw that on the, 
I, it might have been, I don't know if it was Tompkins or Curley, tried that quick slant. Oh, and he and hammered he, him. And he hammered him. Yeah, it came in there. I, I, I was kind of surprised there wasn't a flag thrown, but I'm glad I, there wasn't. He got there way early. He got there a little early. <laughs> I was calling that P.I. and when they didn't throw but, a flag. Right, I, but at the same time, I mean, I think I think Nance brought it up on the broadcast that he has every right to that football mm-hmm. as much as the receiver does, and that's what he played the football. He didn't play the body. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm getting back to is man-to-man coverage is, is key because and Rex – is is big on that. He always has He's been with Revis and Cromartie. Man press defense, right. and that's why I think you're seeing Gilmore, both Gilmore and Darby, putting up solid solid numbers and having solid seasons at this point. I mean, Darby's getting a lot of love from a lot of different people right now, and he's setting himself up as a potential, you know, a potential defensive rookie of the year candidate. And then on the offensive side of the ball. Our offensive line didn't have their best night, but that's to be expected when you're playing a line that has four guys on it as talented as the Jets have. I mean, their D-line is gross. It, yeah, I mean, it certainly rivals the Bills. Hey, it's incredible. Yeah. And Tyrod was in trouble all night. I mean, scrambling, having to try to just find ways to get the ball out most of the yeah, time, just to hit, get it away. He got hit hard. He got hit a lot. A I lot, remember right. a play where Sheldon, uh, what was it? Sheldon, no, it was Muhammad Wilkerson, came in. He set up and just threw the ball, a little flip, just to get it out of bounds because he didn't want to take a sack. And as he's throwing the ball, Wilkerson comes through with one arm and hits him like under the armpit and up around the chest and just ragdolls him off of his feet. It's it's terrifying as a quarterback to stand back there and know that you're playing four guys who are all just massive human beings and are capable of just ragdolling you around if they get their hands on I mean, it's terrifying as a fan to watch your quarterback (laughs) getting thrown around like that, especially after he's already missed a couple of games. And, you know, that he's – and he got up a couple times, a little Mm -hmm. gimpy, and, you know – he stayed in the game as I would expect him to. He oh, wanted yeah. to. He he's wanted a, to play through the MCL injury. He's a competitor. That's Absolutely. the one thing I love about him is he's a he's a he's a warrior out there. My, I mean, honestly, my favorite thing about him is the composure. Mm-hmm. He is just getting clobbered back there, and he never really shows the frustration on his face. Doesn't panic. In his body language. You know, even like you have players like like Cam Newton having an MVP caliber season, but when things go bad for him, things haven't gone bad for him yet this year. There ain't no. But when things go bad for him, it's visible. It got dicey during that Colts game. That Colts game, I remember he was they were sending the house at him sometimes just to get him off his mark. And he in the fourth quarter had a lot of trouble moving the ball, and that's what allowed the Colts to come back. Was that they they decided let's screw it. We'll play press defense because the receivers aren't that good, and we're going to send everybody and just see if we can make him uncomfortable enough to get us some you know some some punts. Right. He's easier. He's easy to frustrate, Mm -hmm. but he has the size, athleticism, build, Mm -hmm. obviously to you know to overcome things like that. But with uh, you know getting back to Tyrod, he has the athleticism uh, off the charts. Obviously, not so much the size. And I think that's why you see him getting injured from time to time or, you know, a little gimpy because he's getting tackled by guys who are 100 pounds heavier than him, and, and mm-hmm. it's liable to happen. It's a quarterback. To, to, the, to the defense's credit, I will say to the New York Jets' credit, Todd Bowles called a hell of a defensive game because— You would never know it. You'd never know yeah, because it. Because look at him. They put him on TV how many times? He always looked like he was smiling. <laughs> it's he, like his little half-smile. Weird little grin. His face is like plastic. It never changes. He called a hell of a defensive game, though, because even with as much as they blitzed, they never once allowed themselves to be exposed to Tyrod Taylor as a running threat. They always had a containment plan Mm -hmm. for him. If they were blitzing from the right, they would keep a safety kind of watching the line just to make sure, or they knew that one of the linebackers who was going to come in on a late blitz 
was going to keep eyes on Tyrod to make sure he didn't get out that far out of the pocket. And that, you could tell, was clearly frustrating to our offense because they were hoping that in blitzing, it was going to open up some running lanes for him, and it didn't happen. And when you do that, the offensive line has to be good enough to hold up to allow you know your receivers to get open. I know Watkins on Revis is a pretty big matchup that people mm-hmm. like to talk about. It's just he didn't really have the time. No. Uh, I mean, uh, very rarely did he have the time. And you saw when he did, he stood and delivered. The, mm-hmm. the touchdown to Carlos Williams, for example. Nice mm-hmm. pocket forms around him. He throws a strike to Williams. They score a touchdown. How many times did he do that Yep. on Thursday night? None. Oh, it, almost none. It's, it was definitely something to see. And I, it's, it was frustrating to watch. But at the same time, I'm glad we, we came away with the win. I'll tell you what. There's two things I talked about last week as far as you know, the Bills offense and the Jets defense. With Cromartie and their starting safeties out, the Raiders went right at whoever was lined up on the other side from Revis. <laughs> whoever was taking the side Revis wasn't, and it was generally on the right-hand side of the field. They attacked that side of the field knowing that not only were they missing Cromartie, but they were also missing two safeties. Mm-hmm. Having both your starting safeties out and a wide receiver means that your, your support for yards after the catch isn't going to be there. You've got guys who are capable of being beat. You know, and so in this case, they were starting practice squad safeties, which is why I think we took a deep shot to start the whole game, knowing that they probably won't expect it and knowing that their safeties aren't that good anyway, it was going to be easy enough for Watkins to get behind the play, which he did. I feel like Tyrod wasn't prepared for the pass rush, though, and I feel like he, on that play, he had a hard time getting his feet set. And that's, you know, he couldn't drive. He, he almost had to just throw it up rather right. than being able to lower his shoulders a little bit and really set that ball on a rope. I, I could be wrong. I, I don't remember seeing the Bills throwing in a ton of protection no. for Tyrod. No. I think tried to a, spread a lot out. of times McCoy was going out as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Saw him catch five passes. Uh, Carlos caught the one for the touchdown. But, I mean, I don't think – and Clay caught five passes, so he wasn't really staying in as a blocker. Nope. So, I mean, it was kind of, you know, five on the blitz. Yep. And, and, and you know what? And sometimes that works for you. Mm-hmm. And they still won, but they got their quarterback hit, uh, uh, you know, a wealth of times yeah. in the process. You exposed your quarterback a lot to contact, and that's not something you should be doing. You should be – Matthew Mulligan should have been involved in this game a lot more than he was just to get somebody in there to put an extra body on the line. But in any event, talking about the, the lack of a cornerback out there, Tyrod Taylor went right where I thought he would to that short right side of the defense. 10 for 14 and 85 yards. Now, in a game when you only throw 150 yards, that's huge. To know that there's Mm -hmm. one spot in the field where you go into the game knowing that that team is weak and you can just keep going there. Keep going back to the well when you need to play. All the yard, Robert Woods' catches, right side of the field. You can turn, yep. snap, throw. Clay was over there a Clay lot. Clay over there. Yep. And a lot they of that screens yardage, over there and whatnot. Yep. A lot of that yardage was yards after the catch. Also, the second thing was that I called it they were weak up the middle in pass coverage. Now, we only threw, the, threw the, to the middle of the field three times. One shallow pass and two deep ones. One of those, we, well, on those passes combined, we were three of five for 51 yards. And one of them was that 29-yard touchdown pass to Carlos Carlos. Williams. Seeing that just on stats and then seeing it unfold in a game the way you call it, you're like, okay, here's a team that's allowing 90 yards per game up the middle of the field passing. 
at some point, their lack of safety experience and their linebackers' inability to cover people out in space is going to catch up with them. And thank right. God for us, they were able to expose it. And that's one of those plays. He was blitzed on that play, and yeah. that's what opened up the middle of the field, and those safeties weren't in a position to stop it. I, I get the, the scheme, the, at least the thought process behind it from the Jets' perspective, is you have, you have Revis over on the one side following Sammy Watkins wherever he goes. Okay, so we don't need safety help over there. And they never, they never do. They mm-hmm. never give him safety help, never. ever. They just let him do what he does. And you could, from where I was sitting, you could see that on, on literally every play. So the safeties have the added benefit of where they can play inside the hash marks almost. So it's really kind of surprising that they would be a little bit weaker up there because, well, the one has to take you know, the, the one side of the field that Revis is not on, but the other safety, a lot of the times the play wasn't working was because that safety was might have been scaring Tyrod a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, because when guys would run over the middle. But like you said, they were attacking the right side. They didn't want. They they were like, okay, we know we have this over here. Like, I throw it, Revis. Why why throw over there and why even throw it up the middle of the field when the right side of the field is working for us? Yep. Now, I mean, you could argue that. What do you mean? Hey, hey, guys, what do you mean it was working? Like our offense was terrible. We didn't get a first <laughs> down for like eighteen minutes or something hysterical like that. And, I, you know, I hear you. I hear you. The offense, it, I'm, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some part oh, yeah. of the offense in, in a little bit. It's just, I, you know, I look at it and I'm like, well, you know, I, I touched on it already. You have the right side of the field mm-hmm. open. Uh, if that's where you want to go, if that's your game plan, don't stray away from it necessarily. Right? Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And it... I mean, and to, to think that we clinched the game kind of throwing at Revis on that first down to Sammy Watkins. That was just a beautiful play by Sammy Watkins. The kid, I understand he's, first and foremost, the kid's got, he gained himself some haters, you know, over the course of the last few weeks. You know, Twitter does nothing good for athletes. But think about this. If you or I had had Twitter when we were in our early 20s, I can't even imagine. And you handed me two million, you know, two million dollars a year right. to go do. I can't even go imagine do what some I'm good of the things at. I yeah. would say to people. So it's probably a good thing that this exists. I mean, if you ever, but talent-wise, he's right. he's un, unbelievable. And I don't think it's the fans who are really going to the games that are doing that. Because no. I mean, I've having been at the games, fans chant that guy's name after a couple. You know, third downs or whatever. After the touchdown, after the touchdown, he got hurt against Cincinnati. Fans were chanting his name as he was walking off the field, and then he ends up in this little Instagram snafu. And I, I personally, I just I don't really have that much of an opinion on it. Is it worth talking about? Yeah, we could talk about it if you want, but I don't think it's that big of a deal because here you have a guy who is just catching crap for being hurt when he played hurt last year. Maybe, is he injury prone? Maybe a little bit, but he's playing through it. He's a very, very, very good player He who doesn't really have the quarterback play to get him the ball on a consistent basis, and now you're finally seeing that he's getting the targets. But of course he's going to be, uh, he, he needs to be smarter. Let me start by saying that. He needs to be smarter than to open his mouth like that. And, and you know, he should expect backlash from the fans when he does that. But if you're not one of those people going on his Instagram or going on his Twitter and saying, Sammy, you suck. Why are you going to Disneyland with your daughter on the bye week when you should be rehabbing your ankle? Who are, well, first of all, who are you to say that? But if you're not one of those people, 
he's not talking to you. So why do you care? And why do we care? I, I kind of agreed with most of what Sammy had wrote because for the most part of the season, we haven't been throwing him the ball. The first half of the season is we had a, a healthy Percy Harvin, and he was the one that was getting most of the throws. I don't think anybody disagrees with the target thing. Uh, why would you? I mean, he wants the ball. I, don't, I think people are taking that out of context a little bit. It's like, oh, you're making me look bad. And he doesn't mean like a bad player. He just means it in the, in the context of, well, okay, he made, what was the quote? He said, you're making me look bad. You're making yourselves look bad. Mm-hmm. He, just mean, he doesn't mean like, it's just a, it's a context thing, and I'm really having trouble putting in the words. <laughs> but it's, he's just saying, hey, I, I'm capable of this. People are coming at me mm-hmm. on Instagram, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, saying that I can't play and I suck and I'm overrated. When I'm not, I'm just not getting the targets that I, I need to do that. So just throw me the ball and trust me. That's, that's all I read into that. People complaining about the things he said, like I said, just count, consider yourselves all lucky that Twitter didn't exist when I was 22 years old because <laughs> the things I would have put on the internet would probably still be out there somewhere haunting me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah, and like the, the well, uh, just a, like a closing thought on Instagram thing. Like what, what does I, – I, I've done it. I've talked – I've, you know, I've talked trash to players on Instagram, or not on Instagram, but on Twitter and stuff. Not to my own team. Yeah. That's like, what are you... You're supposed to be there to hold these guys up because you're a fan. I brought this up on one of my videos, actually. So what are you... Just because you've been a fan of the team for 20 years and Sammy's been on the team for 20 games, like, that doesn't give you the right to be like, yeah, you suck, or you're not part of a... You know, you're not... You're not diehard Bills like I am. Like, who are you to say that? Mm-hmm. No, it's, and that's the thing. These guys are this. This is their job. They're professional, and most of them are professionals. They take it very seriously, because for them, it's what they do. It, I don't want to say it defines them, but it's a huge part of their lives. And so, for people to try to, yeah, and I'm guilty of it sometimes. You see something, you're like, God, that guy sucks. Well, it's not that he sucks. Maybe he's got something else going on you don't know about. I mean, there is a they flip. Have personal lives too. There's there, there's a, there's two sides to everything, and. I try to be, you know, I try to keep perspective about it. Right. But and then as low-key of a guy as Sammy is, mm-hmm. did you see him? You, you, he's in that video of Rex celebrating after the game. Yep. And he's, like, kind of jumping up and down and, like, hugging Rex. Oh, yeah. And Sammy's really low-key, kind of just doesn't talk much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, okay, we just talked about how we did talk. But at the same time, he really doesn't say a whole lot. He just goes about his business for the most part. And there he is celebrating with the coach, which you know just goes to show you how much he did really want to win that game, especially mm-hmm. for Rex, which I'm sure we're, we're going to touch on. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. We didn't ignore the whole <laughs> Rex part of this thing. We'll, we'll get into that. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap this whole uh, game recap up with our weekly hero and zero. It was tough this week, you know, because you got a lot of great performances from guys. I mean... When you get to it all, though, my hero of the game is Bakari Rambo. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. <laughs> little Kenny Powers action for you. Even with LaShawn McCoy rushing for over 100 yards against the number one rushing defense in the NFL, when you only get to play 20 snaps in a game and you're in on three turnovers... And the margin of victory of that game is as small as it was. 
you're my MVP every time. I mean, it, the offense probably wasn't going to win the game on their own. No, no. They needed help, and Rambo was more than happy to supply it. But like you said, I got to give a shout-out to LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> because the Bills, yeah, number one rushing the football. The Jets, number one defending the run. Usually, I would say more often than not, that battle goes to the defense. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. And given... You know, the talent level of the Jets' defensive line and the talent level of the Bills' offensive line, I, I did not expect LaShawn McCoy to go over 100, 100 yards. I don't no. think anybody did. Well, that just speaks to his credit as a rusher. Then we get our zero of the game. And some of you may want to fight me on this. Some of you may not agree. But this week, the GOAT goes to Greg Roman. Our special teams unit had to get our first touchdown of the half. Think about that. The first, the first touchdown scored on our team was by our special teams unit because our offense couldn't move the football. And the field goal was set up by an interception return to the 40. Exactly. 40 or 45-ish. So what that tells me is that, and then our, even having it on their side of the field couldn't do anything with it. We couldn't do anything with that field position other than kick a field goal. I, just, I saw a lot of poor play calling that I didn't necessarily agree with. Part, part of what we talked about earlier, not keeping enough guys in to protect Tyrod from mm-hmm. taking hits over and over and over again during that game. It was driving me crazy. I want to see you, as an offensive coordinator, not just want to make plays, but to also understand the nature of your opponent and understand what it is you're dealing with here. I get it. You know, Maybe he doesn't get all those passing yards to the right-hand side that moved the chains for us when it mattered if they kept everyone bottled up at the line of scrimmage. But there was a couple plays there where Tyrod took monster hits, and and he also took four sacks. You don't do that to your team Hmm. if you're a a solid offensive coordinator. One of the sacks is clearly on him. It was that rollout on second and goal mm -hmm. where he just throw the ball away, Tyrod. Yeah, that that, that was a bad play. He got pushed out of bounds. But, I mean, I I wouldn't say – I guess I would – you know, agree with you to an extent that it's Greg Roman just because I look at the offense and I'm like, well, who played poorly? Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody played that poorly. I thought no. Tyrod did the best with what he had presented in front of him. So maybe that speaks to game planning yeah. and play calling. I just think it's – I think during the second half when the Jets kind of found their resurgence, it went hand-in-hand hand with the fact that we had three straight three-and-outs you're not giving your guys time to rest. And then the, the offense comes back into the field and starts marching down the field again. And it was frustrating to watch because these guys are get, they're getting gassed. They're all tired because they've spent the majority of the second half out there in the field. I get it. It's 22-3 to three coming out after halftime. Well, after that first touchdown. It's 22-3. to the three. First, You yeah. can't take your yeah. foot off the gas pedal. Don't get conservative on me now because you're going to wear out your defense. And we almost pissed that lead away. The defense was, I, I'm not going to, they were definitely rested because there's no excuse because the Jets' offense was on the field. I, th- I think even Jim Nance brought it up in the, in the broadcast on, on uh, NFL Network. They were off the field for about 45 minutes, and then they fumbled on the first play, mm-hmm. the ivory fumble, which set up the field goal to make it 22-3. to three. Yeah. So, And then the Jets' offense comes back on the field and just marches right down. Basically, and scores touchdown. The defense has no excuse there. Yeah. I know you're without Mario Williams, who's one of your better players, who was apparently just very sick and, and couldn't play, which, I mean, 
We're not, we're not going to criticize him, are we? Yeah, we're not going to go on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter <laughs> and say, Mario, you got to get tougher, man, because he tried. Mm-hmm. He tried. I, I saw him out there you know, quite often, and how can you blame him? You don't know what's going on. That's something you just can't control. But I expected more from the defense. I thought, hey, now that they're up 22-3, to Ryan Fitzpatrick has to throw. Mm-hmm. Let's go get him. So, I mean, that was – and they almost gave it away. Let's yep. be real. Who didn't think they were going to lose? I thought we. I thought that game was over. <laughs> Who didn't think they were? When it was twenty-two to ten, you felt the momentum swing. Although I will say this: part of that is tied into this is the first time I've ever had to give an honorable mention for least valuable player right, of the week. Remember what happened? <laughs> Fourth quarter, yeah. five minutes to go. You've got a lead. Garrison Sanborn. You suck, you jackass. The guy's out there. He doesn't suck, though. He really doesn't <laughs> he suck. He doesn't suck. He's been one of the most consistent players. Yeah. But in that, on that night, I don't know if it was the rain. I don't know if maybe he just, maybe he was more worried about blocking than he was about you know, snapping the ball. Almost every single one of his snaps to Colton Schmidt on punts was wide right. I every time. the same thing. And then the, the, the effect of that is that, he can't just catch it and punt it cleanly. He's got to catch it, reposition his body, and then kick. There's two of them he almost didn't get away. It changed our punts every single time. And then finally, with five minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter, while we're trying to desperately hang on to a lead, it finally bit us in the ass and caused a fumble in our own territory. You just, oh man. Knew the game was over at that point. I don't know. I don't mean to discredit. That's just... That is the most Bills thing that could happen. <laughs> that, at that, that point, right there is at a that point. Bills play. And but you know what? They came up with a huge stop after that, which is the they most did. anti-Bills thing that could happen. I just when that happened, I I threw things. I'm not right. I'm not above it. I threw things. I I, I was just storming and, around and the then, basement. And, and then you, here you are. You think they're about to lose the lead, and they have no timeouts <laughs> because they've burned them all. Saving five yards on delay of game penalties. Yeah. It was just that play right there for me. Although I guess they had headset issues, too. If we had lost, Garrison Sanborn gets my least valuable player of the week by, by far. Probably the first and only time you'll ever be able to say that, too. The guy, <laughs> the guy is money. I don't get it. I just don't get it. The guy, I've never seen him botch one ever. Well, I've never seen him skip it we're or just, anything. We're just real lucky that it didn't come back to bite us in the ass this time. We're going to switch gears here a little bit. This week... <laughs> I want to talk about Rex Ryan as our head coach. This week, he's taken a lot of heat. Okay? The media has been all over him. I mean, whether you're talking about his decision to send out Impali as a captain, whether it's his decision to stay in the locker room during the pregame, or even just the way he handled himself on the sideline and then in his press conference after the win. To me, the majority of this is just noise. I, mean, I think a lot of it's garbage. It's, it's opinions offered up by people who very, very few of whom have ever actually been in an NFL locker room or who have ever been around NFL athletes. I mean, the only one that I could give any kind of credibility to was Bill Cowher. And in an interview earlier this week, he had the following to say. Well, let me just say this about Rex Ryan. Players love playing for him. The media love his press conference. But I want to just say this. I believe when he made I.K. and Apolli the captain this week, I thought he was insensitive to New York and somewhat disrespectful. I know he does it with the players all the time. He takes players who play with other teams, makes them captain against their former team. But you know what? That doesn't make it right. 
know, the captain tag is something every head coach in this, this league takes serious. The captain tag is something players vote on, head coaches they give it a title to. It requires a player that you think exemplifies leadership. You earn that. And Rex Ryan has made a mockery of it, and to me, it's annoying. And I'm just saying that, putting that out there. I, it's not always about Rex. Everything isn't about Rex. They use the, play, the, the, the platform this week to talk about Clemson. What's that got to do with this game? The game is being played by players on the field. It's not about him. It's about the New York uh, the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets playing for a game that's got playoff implications. Again, players like him. Media loves him. That element of that bothers me. That was from NFL Network's pregame, uh, pregame broadcast. What, well, it's not about Rex. No, it's, it's about IKN and Polly. It's about that player. Everyone out there has a hot take on this. You're making it about Rex. He's they're they're the ones making it about Rex. The media is making it about Rex. Rex Ryan is making it about one player who he says, you know what, kid. Everyone else might be against you. Everyone else might have something negative to say about you, but I know you. Mm-hmm. I know you personally. I know that you're not, you know, you're not some, you know, you're not some jerk off that everyone in the locker room hated, and you were always acting out and doing this stuff. Whatever happened between you happened between you know between you and Gino happened between you and Gino. That's your thing. It's, it sucks that it ended the way it did. Don't tell me he's the first person to ever punch somebody in the locker room. I was just, I was telling him that before you showed up. I said, how, to coming from Bill Cowher, that's, that's kind of disingenuous because sure. you mean to tell me that with all of those guys, Larry Foote, James Harrison, you know, uh, Casey Hampton, all of these big guys mm-hmm. who played with attitude on your defenses, there wasn't a fist fight or two in that locker room? Because I don't buy that, not for a second. I don't buy that there's no fights in any locker room. Well, then, how, like, how can 50 or 60 guys all get along? Like, for the mo- I mean, they, most of them might. But don't tell me that they're all going to get along all the time. My friends don't even like me. So <laughs> it's hard enough for me. Get a bunch of testosterone-fueled football players in a room and see how that pans out. There was an ESPN article by Ian O'Connor this week, and I tweeted it earlier. To me, you know, basically panning Rex for all of this. And... You know, he makes some quotes and he says some things that are, I mean, it's him just grandstanding because now there's this momentum behind this anti-Rex Ryan, you know, movement all of a sudden. And like one of them, Rex, here's a quote from his article. Ryan was a selfish bore for making the Impali announcement Monday, ensuring four days of spirited conversation about who else, Rex Ryan. Maybe he realized it was a bit much Thursday night when he didn't show his face for pregame warmups. First off, he, he discussed that in his press conference that he didn't come out because he knew everything was going to be made about him. About it's him. not about him. Exactly. Here's an, it's another example of the media taking this and twisting it to fit their own, you know, their own storyline. They, they, they want a storyline and they're it's, making it what it it's is. It's always about the narrative. Oh, it's always about the narrative. They're creating one for themselves. Now, one of the things you find, you know, and he, to me, he also sounds like a butthurt Jets fan. I like the fact that that article didn't come out until after we beat them. All I know is he can stand on his soapbox, but public opinion doesn't really matter. You know what matters is the opinion of the players. I've got a clip of Bakari Rambo discussing that very topic from buffalobills.com. We know that Coach Ritz got all of our backs, so we just going to go out there and do the same for him. It's, it's a great feeling knowing that your coach have your back. It'll make you go out there and give your all each play. So it was, it was great, man. The players know. The players know the type of coach that they have. 
If and, he's such a bad guy, why do they like him so much? Exactly. And this is, I think this is actually what Rex Ryan is the best at in the NFL. He's great at creating this culture in the locker room, this us versus the world mentality. He, he, I said it last week in our podcast when I was talking about how he had his ridiculous press conference during you know early last week when he came out with a Clemson helmet on and he was cracking jokes about Fitzpatrick's beard. And uh, he looks at his team and says, you know what? I'm going to take all of this on myself. It's going to be, I'm going to take all the hits here. I'm going to be a lightning yeah. rod for all this media attention to let you guys focus on what's important. What what uh, did you hear any assessment this week about how Tyrod Taylor might fare against the Jets defensive line? Not at all. No, or how? And you might have heard a little bit about Sammy Watkins mm-hmm. against Darrell Revis, but it wasn't like oh Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing his old team. Nobody even brought that up. Nobody brought up the fact that Chan Gailey was playing the Bills for the first time mm-hmm. since he was fired from them. Nobody. That was not the story. Rex took you know he took bullets for the entire team. He knew it was he knew it was going to be made about him regardless of what he did. He tried to make it a little bit about his team. I mean, I, I, I know on game day at least mm-hmm. on game day he hit. He sort of hit himself. Now he held. What was that? How long was that post game presser? Oh. Twenty or twenty five minutes. Yeah, he went was, off after the game. Yeah, but I mean, he was excited. How can you expect him not to? Well, think about this. He he's getting panned for his celebration on the sideline. He's a human being. He's another guy, just like you and me. You heard it. He went out and partied with the team afterwards, and he's talking about going out and having beverages, mm-hmm. multiple beverages, quote unquote, after the game. Now I'll tell you this: you put me in that position, I don't know what I would have done. I'm sure I would have left the stadium in handcuffs if my team, if a team that fired me, I beat them at home with all the booze and everything else. Mm-hmm. I would have been out there like. I would have been out there like Kenny Powers, just egging him on. Go ahead, boo. Oh, it would have been great. I would have said and done a lot of terrible things. Maybe look back on it in embarrassment. But what I do know is that the guy says what he thinks. Okay, He doesn't have a filter. But that's not a bad thing. That's why his players love him. And this is all, this is all football related. Yeah. It's not like he's off the field being like getting mm-hmm. arrested no. and what have you. It's just, it's just all football stuff. I think, I, I think one of my favorite points of the entire thing was hearing him making fun of the New York Post about this exact subject. You know, he's talking to him in his post game about how they made this about him mm-hmm. to, to, to know, a point for of some reason, I don't understand why the papers don't you know, recognize your coach, not, not the one that used to coach here. I'm on the front page and all that stuff, and you know I love that, but it's, <laughs> it's like, Really? I'm still smiling to New York Post. That's from BuffaloBills.com. My takeaway from this is that he was—he knew that coming into this game that they were going to make a show out of this, and he was happy to take all of that and keep the pressure off of his players so that they could focus on just going out there and executing. And you hear it from their own mouths. They want to win for him. Right. You and can't the, ask The story really is... If you look, okay, let's look at it from a football perspective. What's the story of that game? The five and three New York Jets against the four and four Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. There's a huge playoff implications in that game, mm-hmm. and everybody's making the, the the giant distraction that is Rex Ryan <laughs> might have given the Bills that slight edge that they needed mm-hmm. to to win the game. I completely agree. This week, there's been a lot of talk. You know, after the last couple games, I mean, we talked about it earlier. Carlos Williams with a 29-yard touchdown pass, the only offensive touchdown we score. Ron Darby with his, you know, just another solid standout performance. 
This week, Ryan Talbot from Scout.com released an article talking about Carlos Williams and how he might be one of the biggest steals of last year's NFL draft. So it got me thinking, how lucky are we as Bills fans to have found both Carlos and Ron Darby in one draft? Let's take a look at the numbers. First off, you've got Carlos Williams. He's first in rookie rushing touchdowns with seven. He's ahead of Todd Gurley, TJ Eldon, and Melvin Gordon, who were both guys got picked in the top 60. So that's not that, there's a notch in your belt right there. Gurley leads all rookie running backs with 644 yards. But he's been, even though he missed some games early on, he's been a feature back. He's, he's getting fed the ball. His, average, his, his yards, average yards per carry is 5.6. Okay. Meanwhile, Williams, in just a reserve role, playing behind LaShawn McCoy, you know, he gets 9 to 10 carries a game. He's averaging 6.2. That works for him. That, I, it's I, huge. I, everyone's like, well, maybe they should get Carlos Williams more touches. And I would argue, why? He does just fine with the 9 or 10 that he gets. I mean, I think that as a role, as a role player on this offense, he's, he's done a fantastic job this season with it. And then you look at Darby. Like I said, people were blowing up my phone you know, early on, people were blowing up my phone after this draft talking about what a what a bum pick taking another another cornerback that no one had ever heard of. You know, he wasn't one of the big names being floated around by draft pundits. You know why? Because Randy Gregory was falling down boards and because Randy Gregory was being talked about, it's like, oh well we must we need to draft him. Mm-hmm. Because everybody keeps talking about him, we should probably draft him. But there's a reason that those pundits don't work for an NFL team. If any of them were any good, some GM would have snapped them up with exactly. their head of scouting. So you come in here with a press cornerback that no one really knows a lot about. And I decided I was going to reserve judgment to see how he played, and he has been nothing but solid through 10 games. He's taken on a starting role right out of the gate. Pro Football Focus is a monster boner for this guy. He leads the NFL with eight passes defensed. And two interceptions. That, that's huge for a kid who's played 10 football games. It was coming into the season, we had seen two sides of him. You had seen the side, at least in, in training camp and the preseason, it's like, wow, this, is, this might be tough because he's having a little trouble in the preseason, which he did. Well, I'm it's because they threw that. him, and Rex Ryan right. touched on that. He said they threw him right in the fire. They're With like, no Benjamin? safety help. They gave him the Revis <laughs> treatment in yep. the preseason. So... You're coming into the season not knowing what's, you know, not not knowing at all what's going to happen. He gets T.Y. Hilton in week one. He comes up pretty big with an interception there. T.Y. did find some success against him early on. Don't get me wrong. I think he had like seven catches in the first half mm-hmm. before he finally got hurt. So you weren't really sure what you were getting, but the guy has just gotten stronger almost seemingly every week. He's getting better and better. I mean, in oct- early October, the same writer from Scout.com, uh, Ryan Talbot, he wrote an article about whether or not Darby was a Pro Bowl potential Pro Bowl candidate. Why isn't he? Why wouldn't he be at this point? After this game, after this past game, I don't see any argument anyone could bring up as to why he's not a Pro Bowl caliber talent. And to know that we found him in the second round of the draft, I mean, that's huge for our, that's huge for our scouting the, the department. Most people were saying we, we, we messed that up. These were wins for our scouting department and our GM, and it's a huge, I mean, if we're, we're a team looking to try to make the, make the playoffs for the first time in 15 years, you need to have drafts like this where you don't see it coming, but you find three starters. You have to have drafts like this if you're going to do it. I think it's huge to our chances. Maybe we should just keep going to Florida State. <laughs> just keep drafting Florida State players. I, 
<laughs> it seems to be. Well, it, I guess it didn't really work with the quarterback. No. No, it did not. In fact, E.J. Manuel being a healthy scratch for this game, I mean, his, his career here is... Can we just agree, all of us, that it's uh, it's, it's over? It might last one more year. He might see the end of his rookie deal. I don't. I, I think I, that if in this draft they find a quarterback, they're they're more likely to move on just to get more camp time, if nothing else. I mean, do you keep EJ Man? I mean, I guess all of his guaranteed money's gone, so it is what it is. But at the same time, do you do you trust it? I. Do you trust him on your roster, knowing you to really back, can't to depend on him? To go back to what you said you before, I, I would draft a quarterback regardless. Why shouldn't you take one all the time? I, I'm kind of on that. Even if you have one, the, I say it every week. We should draft a quarterback every year. One. It doesn't matter where. If you think you see a guy, you think he might have a little talent. I don't care whether it's top yeah. end talent, whether he's someone who needs to be developed. If you don't have one, this is a quarterback league. If you don't have one, you need to go find one. Right. Or else you'll never be competitive. They were talking about it in WGR 55, this, uh, Sports 55 this morning about how there's, out of all of the teams in the NFL this season, there's only been a handful of wins by backup quarterbacks. I mean, the, the Cowboys are 0-6 right. without Rony the, Romo. The, the drop-off. Yeah. The, the Steelers were able to win two football games out of four. So you're talking there's the a combined eight losses. The Bills are 0-2. There's 10 losses. That's 10 losses over the course of... The Colts are miraculously 2-0. Somehow Matt Hasselbeck <laughs> through those played, games. What did he play? Tennessee and Jacksonville. Tennessee and Jacksonville. That's probably the reason. Of course, our backup quarterback couldn't beat Jacksonville. Oh, God. That game was disaster. You were ready, don't, you were ready to give up after that game. I was. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was let, After everyone left, like after, after Chris left... My girlfriend's house and my friend Bob left, and it was just me by myself having drank like almost an entire Magnum bottle of champagne by myself. <laughs> you scare me. You're an alcoholic. All I know is I laid down on the floor with my Bills jersey on in the dark in the basement for about a half hour and just questioned everything. And it's only twelve so thirty in the afternoon at that yeah. point, too. and it's not even one o'clock at the noon. The afternoon you games still have, you still have twelve hours of football ahead of you. <laughs> that was a rough day, but I've rebounded. You know, as as we Bill fan, Bills fans do over the years, we rebound. Uh, this is isn't this always what happens? This this is always what happens, right? We come, we're right around four and four, five and four, four and five, whatever. Maybe even three and six. Remember when EJ's rookie year and we're like three and seven? We're like, well, we could run the table. Why do we think we can do that? We've won 70% of our games up to this point, and we're talking about running the table. It's because we look at the other teams and we always convince ourselves that, oh, we're better than We could team. still beat them. We could still beat them. Like, remember when we thought we were going to beat the Steelers two years ago? And exactly. then we went to Pittsburgh and just, it was, it was a disaster. Yeah. Complete disaster from top to bottom. This... Rex Ryan feels like he's changing the culture of this team to me. I hope so. And I well, think about it. His mentality, we touched on it earlier, this us versus the world. He's showing everyone, he goes, listen, guys, everyone hates this. Everyone hates what we're doing, except for the guys in this room right now. It's us. We have to do this ourselves because no one else is going to give us anything, and no one else is going to give us any credit. They're going to keep making a joke out of us until someone right. steps up and does something about it. They're, I, they're five and two in games where... E.J. Manuel doesn't start. <laughs> right? That's a very eloquent way to put it. That's, if, if E.J. Manuel is not starting, they're 5-2. and two. 
they've only lost to New England, who's undefeated. And, and Cincinnati. And, well, well, Cincinnati. Well, EJ Manuel started that like the game. Giants. Not that I'm not saying they would have bet, beat them, but they play, they lost to the Giants, which is in the loss column, obviously, but. It doesn't really hurt them in terms of conference the record. Yeah, yeah tiebreakers are definitely. If there was a game, I was saying it. If there's a game to lose, it would be that one. Although, and they murdered themselves. I will penalties. say, I will say, I now have to attend in Rochester a polar plunge event because of that game. I now have to wear a blue and red speedo with the number eighteen, or no, not number eighteen, um, Eli Eli Manning's jersey. Ten. Number. Ten <laughs> painted on my back, and I have to swim approximately, I don't know, a thousand feet to shore in ice cold water. I, thanks, I, thanks, Bills. Let me tell you how jealous I am of you. <laughs> thanks, Bills. I'm you, not. You did that to me. I blame you, not me, for making the bet. I trusted that you would back me up. <laughs> and they like, well, you should have known better. See, but that's how deep my love for the Bills runs. I just trust that we can win every week. You were like, well, uh, they could win. Sammy Watkins, no. LaShawn McCoy, no. They'll still be fine. (laughs) I made it during the preseason. (laughs) Oh, okay. And that brings us to our closing bit here. I want to talk about our Week 10 biggest rooting interests. Coming into this week, it's crazy because this is the second Sunday where I'll be able to sit down, turn on the, uh, the mix there on the Sunday ticket, I don't know if you guys have it or if you've ever seen it, but it's the coolest thing that it, I've it ever is. experienced. It's the Fantasy Zone commercial is really cool too, the, or the, the commercial, the 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 channel, the mm-hmm. Fantasy Zone, Red Zone. Those are just the coolest channels. It's amazing. So I sit there on the couch, a remote and beer in hand, and I watch. You know, I take a look at it and I say, okay, I want to. I want to listen. I can see every game, and I want to listen to this one. And then I see something cool happen in another game, and I shoot over there. Oh, I want to hear the audio from that. Let's watch that replay. I'll bring it up. All you got to do is click one button, and now it's full screen. Yeah. And then you go right back to the channel. It's one of the coolest things ever. I got to say, the Red Zone channel is the coolest thing ever at about 345, because all the games are coming yes. close to their finish. So they're just zipping in and out. Play my here, master, play there, play here, play there. My master plan for the bar in my girlfriend's basement yeah. is to have a small, maybe 19-inch monitor kind of up in the corner behind the bar that just runs the Red Zone channel all, all Sunday. <laughs> all Sunday. Just nothing but Red Zone and ESPN. And it's going to be, like, that is the thing that I think is just, oh, God. But we get, like you said, we get to sit here, watch, and root for other teams. And watch other teams that we don't and, normally get to see. And we get to do that next Sunday, too. I know. This is, these two weeks are going to be really big. Football. It's going to be really big for us, like, watching other teams play. This week, the two games, I don't have time to run through them all, but the two biggest games for me are going to be these. First off, at 1 o'clock, if anyone's bored, they got some time, Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. This is, a, this is a monster game. Think about this. The Steelers are missing their quarterback, and they're maybe Landry, they listen to him is questionable now. He's, he's not going to play if they if they put him out there and he gets hurt, and then misses a more significant amount of time. Yeah, you have, have no a one to blame. Up, so. Yeah, it doesn't. But make you're sense. playing to get in the playoffs. It doesn't make sense to jeopardize your franchise quarterback's health. It doesn't. A smart coach benches him and just hopes that he can scheme up something to win that game. Landry Jones making his second career start. His his poor play in the game against Kansas City cost them that game. And now he doesn't have Le'Veon Bell. So And that might be why you decide to play Ben. 
But if you're serious about making a run at the postseason, you have to trust that your team is good enough to possibly, possibly lose a game. It's not a given that you'll lose. You already talked about how bad the backup quarterback plays, Ben. So, I mean, if you're Ben, if you trust Ben Roethlisberger to be healthy, if he says, "Hey, I can do this," even on one and a half or one foot, but you're talking about the quarterback who, in the playoffs last year. Ran out onto the field during the Steelers-Ravens game because he can quote-unquote do this after getting clearly concussed. I mean, he took a shot and had to come off the field. And then when they get in the red zone, he runs out on the field. No one took his helmet from him because he's Ben Roethlisberger. He runs back out on the field and immediately throws an interception and ices the game. How do these guys get cleared? The NFL (laughs) has this thing where I think Peyton Manning was playing with a torn quad. And they list him as, like, probable with this stuff. How does this yeah. guy get cleared? The NFL is trying to make the game safer for the players, but at the same time, the if teams. are player, the they, te- they kind of the look N- the other I don't, way. It's not the NFL, though. It's the individual teams. Like, well, we need to kind of hide this. So let's. But, like, well, how, think why, about don't, they get, why don't they get in trouble for that? Luck in his ribs. They hid that. Yeah. It's, it'll be interesting. But this game, Cleveland versus Pitt, massive, massive playoff implications for us. Because if Cleveland can find a way to steal one from Pittsburgh. It knocks down a team that's going to be neck and neck with us down this entire stretch for a wild card spot. Right, and without one of their best players. Yeah, now is the time when we need to root for a loss for them. And, you know, my buddy Scott Duntley, he, uh, he's going to yeah. be at home watching this game. Scott, I'll see you in hell. <laughs> Go Browns. I don't mean to sound like a cynic here, but you need to get the Steelers to five losses just because, let's face it, the Bills are – Probably getting the five losses next Monday. Oh God, you're the worst. I'm trying. I'm trying to avoid the topic until I have to talk about right. it. Right, but it's like just be realistic about it. And then at 4:05 p.m., Minnesota takes on Oakland. Now, Oakland, after I mean, they played a game in which they put up no. A first of all, ton no, of yard. nobody's cared to watch this game since 1979. <laughs> This matchup is one that most people would look at and then see what else is on TV, whether it's, you know. No, we're watching. Bassmasters, is it? I need Teddy Bridgewater to play. I need Adrian Peterson to run for 200. I mean, we need to have Minnesota. I mean, their defense has played fairly well this year, and they're 5 and 2. They're 6 and 2. 6 and 2. They're a good football team. No one can. No one can they're say they're playing they're for first place in the division right now. They're tied with the Packers. This t- this team is a team on the upswing, and at this point, you really, really need to see it from them because, uh, just like in the other game, Cleveland Pittsburgh, it's another opportunity to knock off a team that seemingly is going to be neck and neck with us right. down this stretch for that wild. I'm talking spot. about the Raiders being neck and neck with us. Like what? What has <laughs> happened? What kind of a universe do we live in? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you're gonna, and you're looking at other teams. You got to look at the three and five teams too, because mm-hmm. I mean, they could get to four and five. The you hope only they lose three and five team that scares me. We've already beaten. Okay. We have the tiebreakers against the Dolphins, right? Okay, yeah, not worried about them. The Houston They're Texans the against Cincinnati. I don't even think that that one's in question. I think Cincinnati's. I don't throttle, throttling them. I don't see a universe in which and then the you Cincinnati got, Bengals aren't nine no on Tuesday morning. Kansas City at Denver. Kansas City at Denver. That game smells like a trap game to me, but at the same time, Kansas City. They they struggle. They struggled to compete with the Broncos the last time they played them, and that was with Jamal Charles. Well, they've won two in a row. They were one and five. Now they've won two in a row. Do you know who they've beaten? 
Uh, off the top of my head, not really. No. One of them was against the one in seven Detroit Lions yeah, okay. in a game in, in yeah, which, there we go. <laughs> in a game in which Matt Stafford put up four fantasy points. Now you're talking. That was one of their wins. And who did they beat last week? I, I'm not sure, but I, that well, I mean, you never, you never. I don't know. Under- this is the this is the age of the internet, my friend. All right, let's click it. Let's go ahead and find out here. So oh, they, well, they beat Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh with yeah, with Landry, Landry Jones as Landry yeah. Jones. They haven't. They, their two wins came against incompetent football teams. So you're you're telling me that you're going to go to Mile High Stadium and, and pull off a Broncos. win against that defense? Not a chance. They come back to earth this week. They're going to be a three and six football team. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Kansas City has actually scored more touchdowns than the Denver Broncos. They've scored more points with more touchdowns than Denver has. Who would think? Peyton Manning-led team. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's going to be there something go. to watch. Here's another, here you go. Peyton Manning-led team, 19 touchdowns, tied for the fewest in the AFC. Yeah, they're not. It's unbelievable. They're 7-1. and one. They've been doing it with defense, which should scare the hell out of every Kansas City fan this week. All I know is it's going to be fun to sit around and watch football on Sunday for a change. You know, moderately sober come 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that's that, that's a new thing for me. Right. In any event, we're gonna wrap up our we're gonna wrap up our episode here. I just want to thank Greg for stopping by. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me, Greg. We've been what, talking about it for quite some time. What's the uh, what does your show have a name? What's the name of your YouTube show? I don't really have one. What's it's your just, username on YouTube? It's uh, it's G T O R L O N E. My name is Greg Torlone, so it's. Like I said, again, G-T-O-R-L-O-N-E. That's my Twitter handle as well. And you can guys go check out his videos on YouTube. You know, if you guys are interested, hit him up on Twitter. You can find us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. If anybody has any questions, you guys got anything to say, you got something funny you might want to hear about in the next show. We're gonna try to get some, you know, get some buzz going with our Gmail account. You know, get a little mailbag sesh if you guys are interested. You can find us at rockpilereport seven one six at gmail.com. And also, if anyone wants, you know, the best questions we get, the best people we talk to, we'll try to set up a little Skype session, maybe even get you on the show. Let's try to keep it fresh here. But until next week, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this is Greg Trelone. And this has been The Rockpile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.